With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast. I am your host, Tom Reed, and joined today uh, by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, our fine Penguins beat writers, and you're listening today on DK Sports Radio. And gang, uh, the Blue Jack, or I'm sorry, <laughs> force of habit here, uh, the Penguins coming off an impressive win on Sunday and then get another uh, tonight against uh, the same Washington Capitals. Um one thing that's kind of caught my eye, uh, this team's 5-0, and and they're one of only uh, four teams in the league, and I'm saying this with the fact that we were recording on Monday, so a couple of those other teams are in action last night, so we, we don't know the results. But the fact they're 5-0, and and I would think coming into the year, home ice advantage really wouldn't mean anything because there aren't fans in the stands in most of these places. Any thoughts early on why these guys are are, are winning games at home, not even picking up losers points. They're five zero and zero. Thoughts, Dave? Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually uh, raised that issue with uh, some of them a, a few days ago, and I, nobody really had a uh, a great explanation for it. And, and they they have been fortunate, you know. I believe that the uh, the win on Sunday was their first in regulation at home. So you know, when you go to overtime or a shootout. And you do it on a regular basis. Uh, you know, at some point you're going to uh, lose one or more of those games. Uh, you know, they they certainly have played better at home uh, than they have on the road. But that's probably as much an ind- or more an indictment of the way they've played on the road than a statement on uh, of how good they've been at home. Do you? Uh... Let's stick with you for one second, Dave, and then I'm going to go over. Is there anything from a obviously the the one the one change that does doesn't change without fans is is you're getting uh, last change, so to speak. You you get to put your guys out who you want on the ice uh, after puck stoppages. Have you seen them take advantage of that in any way, or is there any reason anything to think that, that has been an advantage for them? No, no, you know, no more than under, you know, normal circumstances. Yeah. You, I mean, you always prefer to have the last personnel change and to have your guy be the last one to put his stick down on a face off. But, you know, in big picture terms that that stuff doesn't usually, um, you know, make a huge difference. And right offhand, I can't think of an instance where, Sullivan made a personnel change to capitalize on a matchup and it immediately translated to a goal for the Penguins. Right. Taylor, what have you seen? Uh, You know, you look around these other sports, the NFL this past year, teams were barely 500 at home, which is shocking until you realize that there are no fans there. Uh, Soccer, same thing. Uh, A lot of really what have been good home teams, aren't that great because they don't have the fans. What do you, what do you see? Is there anything to this? 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, Dave, what Dave talked about, you know, what he wrote, I know he has uh, John Marino and he said maybe they're just more comfortable that they get to like sleep in their own bed and, and things like that. But as far as like actually in the game, there's really not that many benefits. I mean, Dave mentioned the like, like, like having your, your stick down last on the on the face off. I mean, the past couple of years, though, that's only been a rule at center ice. So that's not even um that doesn't uh, have an effect anymore in like the offensive zone or the defensive zone. So I, I really don't think there's necessarily that big of an advantage on the ice to being at home. So, yeah, I don't know. I, so I would just attribute it to just being I, that, more comfortable. Right. The, the, the three teams that are also that, that were also unbeaten <laughs> going into Monday night's action, uh, Carolina's only played three games. So they're, they're by far the, the, the lowest, but the other two teams, Tampa six and zero, a Boston four and zero, and 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 while they're not undefeated, uh, Vegas has had an incredible start. They're like six one and two or eight one and two or something. And the point there is, those are three teams that you're thinking those are teams that we're going to expect to be there at the end of the year. And as we've kind of been saying all along, you know, we'll see with these with these Penguins, right? I mean, we'll we'll see if they can get in. That they, they have a good chance to get in, but I don't think they're a guaranteed. So I think this is at least as we're speaking about trends that haven't been great for this team early in the season, this is at least one that they can say, this is kind of going in our direction. And if they, you know, they can get it to, to six and oh, uh, tonight against Washington. I, I think that's a pretty good thing. And I think, Hey, it's mental, right? So much of, of sports is mental. And if you feel like that that's working for you, I, I think that could be an advantage for them as the season goes on. Oh, no, no question. And you're, you're right. Confidence is, so much more of a key to success in this game than I think a lot of people realize. If, uh, you know, when, when you're on a positive roll, whether individually or, or as a team, uh, it tends to be self-sustaining just, just as slumps are. Right now, you know, the Penguins have been consistently uh, winning on home ice, and, you know, that's gone a long way toward making up for them uh, only getting five points out of eight road games uh, to this point in the season. All right, let's move on here. Uh, a, a guy, Dave, you had mentioned this, I think, in a, in a tweet yesterday. Uh, Brian Rust, if you if we had a if we had a pool to start the season as far as who would be their leading scorer uh, after 13 games, 13, 14 games, uh, it probably wouldn't have been Brian Rust. But but here we are. Uh, he's he's off to a terrific start. Five five goals, eight assists coming into tonight's action. And it follows up a year where he had a career year with 27 goals and 29 assists in 55 games. And 56, he had 56 points last year, 13 points in 13 games this year. Is this a guy really that's starting to come in to be one of the, the better players? A guy that I don't think probably gets talked as much about, of course, other than, you know, with Crosby and Malkin. What have you guys seen in the evolution of his, of Brian Russ's game the last year or so that it's kind of allowing him to have his success? Well, I mean, he's just a, a good, solid two-way player, and I think the success he's having is is a pretty good illustration of the point we we mentioned about confidence. You know, he's uh, he's doing the right things as he usually does, and he's being rewarded for them. And when that happens. You know, you uh, tend to get on a roll. Uh, I certainly agree with uh, the, 
the premise uh, that you raised uh, with this issue. He is not the guy I expected to be uh, leading them in scoring more than a month into the season, and I would not have projected him to be the only point-a-game guy in their lineup at this point. But, you know, he's come by that honestly. He's, uh, he's playing very well for them. Taylor, I, I can't remember what game. You guys are the beat writers, so you'll know better when he was put back up on this top line. But that line, we, and we, it seems we sound like a broken record on here, but that line's been so good since those three, with, with, along with, with, with Crosby and Gensel, I think have been, again, don't watch every team every night, but they've certainly been really good uh, in, in the games that I've watched around the league is, is one of the better lines. They don't always produce goals, but they're certainly producing chances. What have you seen with Rust? Uh, again, maybe just this, these, in this stretch of games or to, 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 to piggyback on a Dave's point this last year or so. Yeah, um, it was the the game against the Rangers when Evan Rodriguez got hurt because Evan Rodriguez started out on that wing. And that's kind of what's crazy about this whole thing, too, that Rust only got that opportunity back on that line uh, because Evan, Riga, Evan Rodriguez got, got knocked out of the game. So, um, yeah, I think Russ, like Dave said, just a really, really solid two-way player. And it like these points that he's putting up, too, I mean, like you said, you look at him last year, it's not a fluke. He was their leading goal scorer last year. Right. Um, not leading in points, but I mean, he had over point per game last year, 27 goals in uh, in 55 games. That's, um, you know, more than Malkin in, in just as many games. Uh, Gensel and, you know, Crosby missed, you know, obviously a bit more time, but uh, definitely not a fluke from him. I mean, he started out as more as a um, – more of a like bottom six kind of guy. Like, I don't think we, we expected this, you know, when he broke into the league, but uh, after seeing him last year, it's, I don't think it's that surprising. Yeah. I, I, and the thing that I like about him and you watch, there are times that we use, you'll, you'll look on the score sheet. And of course with the Penguins, they finally did not play a one goal, have a one goal victory the other night, but so they, they needed every goal they can get. But we all know that there are players. Sometimes you look at the score sheet at the end of the night and say, wow, he had three points. I don't remember that with rust. What he does seems to every night seems to resonate like, wow. Yeah, that, that was a, That was a good performance from him. You're not surprised that he's putting up these points. He just seems to be in the right places, at the right time. I can, I can't count on one hand. How many times I've seen him coming back to your point earlier, Dave, back checking real big, strong back checks that save goals or save great chances or nullify great chances for the opponent. So he he's not just putting up points. He is, he is, you know, really contributing uh, key key minutes to them. Uh, he spent a lot of time killing penalties, yeah. you know, over the course of his career. Uh, you don't do that if, if you're not good defensively. And you mentioned him being in, in the right place at the right time, and there's no questioning uh, his instincts in that regard. But it also indicates that he's willing to go to those places. Right. Uh, you know, the uh, I believe it was his first goal on uh, on Sunday you know he he went to the net and put in a, a pass from from Mike Matheson uh he's willing to go there and if it means you know taking a beating to to try to get a scoring chance he's willing to do that and you you couple that with uh you know pretty fair skills and uh and instincts and you have a guy who's going to be productive all right uh, one last topic here in our first section before we we move on here is 
I think all three of us at the beginning of the season, and we've kept mentioning this all along, that the Capitals just seem like naturally they're 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 going to find a way to get in the playoffs because they've just they won the cup the cup a couple of years ago. They're just they're constantly in the playoffs. It's a really good team, but right now they're on a four game losing streak, and they have the second worst goals against average in the league. And I look at them, and I'm, I'm starting to wonder are we seeing cracks or they just don't have everybody back yet? I, I know they just got Kuznetsov back. Dave, you've seen them a lot. You guys have seen them a lot here recently. What, what are your impressions of them? Well, they're, they're on about their ninth string goaltender, which yeah. uh, certainly doesn't help the goals against average. Uh, you know, their team speed is uh, less than impressive too. I, and I think that's really been illustrated against the Penguins. The Penguins have are considerably faster than the Capitals. Um, I, I don't think Washington is, uh, headed for a flame out or anything, but I think they're not unlike the, the Penguins in terms of, you know, being a, uh, a playoff lock. Uh, yeah. you know, they, they are not in a position where they, where they can assume that they will qualify for the postseason. I like their chances, but you know, they're, they're not a given. Taylor, you're, have you, again, I, I think you've, you've kind of, we, we've all kind of, we, we agreed at least early in the year, Boston, which has been terrific. Philadelphia, which we're going to talk with our guest, uh, Sam Carcidi uh, here in a bit uh, about, about, about them, but Washington has been uh, just okay. And I, I wonder what, what your thoughts on, on how they played. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with um, the goaltending situation. Uh, Samsonov, he, he, he's only played two games before they had their COVID situation. Uh, Vanacek's been all, all right for, I mean, he was the, the third goalie, uh, come, you know, coming into this season. He, he's not supposed to be the starter. He's been fine, but um, hasn't been uh, hasn't been great. But I think, yeah, a lot just hinges on Samsonov coming back. Um and if he's able to come back and, and be healthy, because, I mean, he had COVID pretty bad. And he's right now he's on a conditioning stint in, in Hershey uh, to try to get back up to speed. And his first game against Hershey, uh, I think it was Sunday night. It wasn't that great either. Um, I, yeah, I think he had 24 saves on, on 29 shots. Uh, so, I mean, if he can get back to, you know, how he was uh, when he played last year, I mean, that would that would be huge for them. Uh, they need that. Uh, stay with us here on the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Sports Radio. We'll be back with our second segment in a minute. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. Uh, 
This is our second segment. And in our next one, stick with us. We'll have Sam Carcidi uh, from the Philadelphia Inquirer, and he will be talking a lot about Ron Hextall. He covered Hextall's entire term there as general manager. But let's move on, group. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the game the other night, and specifically, let's talk about the goaltending and Tristan Jari. I, I thought that that was an important game. I, I, I didn't tweet it, but I was almost tweeted it before the game. I thought that was an, kind of an important game for him, national TV game, big rival team. I think the first time he'd ever played against them. And I thought for the most part, Tristan Jari played pretty well in, in, a, in a very uh, very nice win, nice 6-3 win. A lot of good things happened. But I thought he played uh, fairly strong. And now I would have to think he's going to be the goaltender going into tonight's rematch. Uh, Dave, what did you see? Well, I, I, I think it clearly was his best game of the year. But, I mean, you know, with the uh, caveat that that bar hasn't been set very high. He's uh, he really struggled through the first month of the season and he, uh, you know, he did give up at least one goal that is directly uh, uh, reflected a, a puck handling gaffe on his part. But also when when the Capitals were, were pressing to try to tie the game in the second and third periods, he came up with some some big saves for them, and that has to not only help to uh, raise his teammates' confidence in him, but to raise his own confidence in you know his ability, which you know he showed last year that when he's on, he's capable of of playing at a very high level. Taylor, you know, so there's so much talk about going into this season that that he was going to be the man. Uh, uh, Murray was gone, so he was not going to have that safety net guy. Uh, he was going to have to take care of it. And and I don't know if, if, it, if, it, if it was that, if it was just having to now be the man uh, that, that contributed to his slow start. But he did not, certainly did not look like the guy that was that went to the All-Star game last year. What did you see in that game the other that, uh, on Sunday that makes you think, well, maybe there's a chance that he's getting – He's gonna he's gonna write the ship here. Yeah, I I think he just um he was really solid, really really calm when it started uh to get you know when the when the caps were, were putting pressure on to try to come back. Um, Dave mentioned the one goal was like kind of a direct result of his stick handling. The other two really kind of just like weird bounces. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't even put on him. But I think it was the first one was um like it went in off of Marino. Yeah, it was a deflection. He, he, yeah. he kind of lost his angle because of the deflection. Yeah, yeah. so that, that's not on him. Um, I, he, he had an overall solid game. That was definitely his best game of the season. Uh, and it just, you know, can he can he build from this? You, you mentioned, you know, like, is, is it tough being, you know, the guy? He hasn't had, like, a workload um, enough to be the guy just because they've been going back and forth so much. So uh, it'll just be interesting to see how he handles it if they do give him, like, more consecutive starts. Yeah, it's interesting that coming into this year, uh, one of his strengths is his puck handling. And, of course, now he's going to have, a, as his general manager, one of the greatest puck handlers of all time. We haven't seen a lot of that. We haven't seen, uh, at least I haven't, a, a lot of him being able to do that. Do you think that's him just trying to find a comfort zone in his crease first? Do we, Dave, do you think we'll, we'll see more of that helping out his defensemen, helping the breakout? breakouts once he gets comfortable in net yeah but i mean bear in mind that it's tough to pass the puck if you don't make the save to begin with <laughs> you know if if you're just pulling the puck out of the net uh <laughs> you know you don't have to 
feed it to anybody but a linesman. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, his ability to move the puck ahead, whether it's to defensemen or all the way up to a forward, uh, I think should be the least of their concerns uh, about Jari at, at this point. That's That's been a strength of his game since he was in junior hockey and probably before that. So... I, I don't think there, there are any uh, great worries for the Penguins about that. Okay. One thing, I, I, I see if you guys agree with me. I thought that was maybe from defenseman one through defenseman six, maybe their most complete game on Sunday against the Capitals. I don't think there was one guy out there that you said, boy, happy that he, you know, certainly guys have bad shifts, but from for, for 60 minutes, I thought they played really well from one to six and two guys. I thought the Taylor, you wrote about him uh, yesterday and, and uh, is Mike Matheson and Cody Cece guys who have, who've, have been under the spotlight a little bit, maybe not for the right reasons, but I thought they both played well. What did you two see in the group as a whole? And those two in particular. Yeah. To start out with uh, Matheson and Cece. I mean, like you said, they, they both had kind of rough starts. Matheson, he played those first two games awful and was hurt for a bit um he's looked good really the last two games cc's kind of been slowly rising but in in last night's game they were good on like both sides of the puck um cc had the two assists matheson had two then they took the one away so he finished with one assist um but uh just something that stood out like matheson on the rust goal the the way he moved forward in the play and it's like he knew what Crosby wanted him to do when they had that nice little passing play like Crosby wanted Matheson to move forward um you know so he could set up rust against one of the guys in front of the net and and that that was great to see because you know one of the things we heard about Matheson coming in was you know he had great offensive instincts we really haven't seen that uh up until this point uh so that was that was an encouraging sign uh CC too uh, just the, the, the plays he was making. Uh, and Matheson's strong defensively, which, again, we haven't seen uh, up until this point. The the one play that stood out uh, in that way, Garnet Hathaway had a breakaway, um, I think it was early in the second period, and, and Matheson just is, like, diving play to, to break that up. He just he just had a really good game. Yeah. Dave, I want to go back to something that, that, that Taylor just mentioned. In that, in the in Rust's, I think it was his first goal, uh, the kind of the give and go. I think Crosby wins the face off, and then he works a really nice play. That is a skilled play for a defenseman uh, to 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 know where Crosby's going to be, get him the puck, and then go into uh, open space and really set up Rust for. I don't want to say it was a tap in, but it certainly was a, a a really quality chance that he gave him. Yeah, and I mean that's what Mike Matheson did a few years ago in Florida that prompted the the Panthers to give him you know, the long-term contract that he's operating under now. Uh, you know, the uh, the Penguins obviously feel that uh, the struggles that he had his past, uh, his final season or so uh, in Florida was an aberration and that uh, he's capable of, of playing the way he did on Sunday. And I, I think people were probably a little premature in passing judgment on uh, Matheson and Cece, you know, in the uh, the early weeks of the season, you're talking about guys coming to a new team uh, with a uh, an abbreviated training camp. Uh, you know, it's it's a little early to write them off, even if uh, they were coming off less than productive seasons 
with their their former team. I mean, that that doesn't mean that you're going to uh, see either of them making a serious run at a, at a Norris Trophy this year. <laughs> uh, and it's possible that they will revert and that that their strong their stronger showings of late uh, were, were the aberration. But you know, I think uh, there's reason for the, the the Penguins to be optimistic about what they'll be able to get out of those two guys. Uh, good news uh, for this team, and certainly uh, for the back end, is it looks like Mark and Pe- Marcus Pedersen is getting closer. Maybe maybe we see him tonight. I know you were at practice uh, yesterday. Uh, Taylor, what did you see, and, and what should we expect? Yeah, I mean, he's been skating uh, for a couple of practices now. Uh, I think this is second as a, as a full participant. Uh, and he was taking regular line rushes. He was uh, paired with Marino. Uh, or no, he was paired with CC Matheson was with Marino. Um, and something that kind of stood out in practice that, you know, makes me think that he could probably play Tuesday is that uh, he, he was working with the top penalty kill, um, which, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is great. He was consistently like the whole time they were working on special teams. So that makes me think he's That's a he's strong sign. <laughs> yeah, that makes me think he's ready to go. And I, the biggest thing there is that that gives them – uh, three righties and three left-handed guys on on defense, which uh, I mean, for a little bit there, but Joseph was the only left-handed guy they had in the lineup. Um, but yeah, this would give them Joseph, Madison, Pedersen down the down the left side, Latang Marino, so, CC on the right side. Yeah. Yeah, I'll let you either one of you guys. So who 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 would if 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 Pedersen comes in, who do who would we think comes out? Uh, I, I would. Yeah, Rui Riddle just because he's a, he's a right-handed guy currently playing on his offside. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, and and that's not even like a knock on Rui Riddle. Rui Riddle, I think, has been fine in this in this uh, period, uh, just where he's been filling in. But uh, they just the guys they have. Um, if a right-handed guy has to come out, I you know it'd be between him and CC. And right now, CC's you know the one that's playing better. So. Uh, I would take Ruidel, but I mean, he would be the first guy to come back in if they need one. Dave? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree completely with, you know, CC is on a, uh, you know, definite upward trajectory uh, for several games now. And uh, Ruidel isn't, but that's not necessarily an indictment because he's pretty consistent game in and game out. You're going to get the, uh, the, the same thing from him, uh, you know, every every game you send him out there, but I don't know that I'd want to do anything right now to, uh, you know, to disrupt the uh, the upward um, direction of Cody CC's game. Okay, so let me uh, because this is a podcast and we all we we everything we say has to be right or at least fair game because that's just what podcasts are. Uh, we're, we're obviously just a change in management here. Uh, with Hextall and Burke is if P.O. Joseph continues to play pretty well, and it looks like he, he can stay in the lineup and there's certainly, I don't think anything that has shown us that he probably won't stay in the lineup. Uh, is there room? Because of course the management ownership, they want to contend, they want to contend. So we get to, toward the trade deadline. Is there one of these guys that they could move? If, if P.O. Joseph is playing well enough that you could maybe make a move to, to bring something in to help you somewhere else, or you you would keep all these guys that they have right now? Well, as good as Joseph has been, you know, if, if he can continue to play at that level, 
Right. That's the yeah. That's the yeah, premise. and uh, that's a big if. Yeah. You know, right. you're you're talking about a rookie defenseman. It's you know that's that's an awful lot to expect of him. Um, and I'm not sure how much trade value, you know, guys would have. You know, whether that value would would outweigh the the value of keeping them around in the event of injuries. You know, guys like Ayuso Ricola. Right. Um. You know, if you if you'd be willing to part with somebody like a Marcus Pedersen, you could probably get a pretty fair return. But, you know, you'd be giving up a pretty good defenseman. And you would think the Penguins at this point uh, are keenly aware of uh, how nice it is to have uh, a, you know, a, a nice selection of healthy, capable defensemen on hand. So, you know, yeah, they they could trade one under the right circumstances, but there, you know, there's going to be an element of risk in it. Taylor, put that GM hat on. <laughs> you, yeah. is, is there somebody there that is there? Is there something? Uh, is, is, could some one of those guys get moved? Yeah. So the depth they really have is down the left side. Um, so I think you take Matheson out of the heat. So they're not moving. You know, no way. Uh, right. Right. Ma- right. Yeah. Matheson, you just can't move his contract. Rico right. um, just hasn't played enough consistently at this level to really make him. Uh, you wouldn't really get much of a return. And his, his cap hit is so low that it, it, it's not even worth it. What would you be getting back from anyway? Um, so be between Dumoulin and Pedersen. I mean, if, if, the, their target is like a big, you know, a big name guy. Maybe you could justify Dumoulin, but it would have to be like a really good return. But uh, Pedersen probably seems like the most likely out of that group. Yeah. And certainly there's no reason you'd want to trade him. But as we were saying, if you, there are so, uh, the way I look at it, there are so few guys you can move right now anymore, right? Where you're not going to be, I don't, I cannot believe in, in this new, with this new GM that they're going to be giving up first-round draft picks anytime again soon. I may be wrong on that. Uh, so I'm just trying to look for places where you could possibly make a move if you're still trying to contend and you, and you need some help elsewhere. Uh, but it's going to be interesting as, as, as this season starts to kind of head toward the halfway point and where they are. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see where these guys end up in this season as we head toward the trade deadline. Heading for, speaking of heading, we'll be heading to segment three with Sam Carcidi uh, from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And stick with us here on the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Sports Radio. Welcome back to the third segment of the 66 to 87 podcast. We are pleased to have from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Sam Carcitti, longtime beat writer, does a great job. Uh, and one of the reasons we wanted to have Sam on today is he certainly has, was, was there for all of the Ron Hextall era as a general manager and has watched that team kind of certainly change uh, has kind of transitioned over the last five or six years. We'll get into that, more of that in a second, but Sam, uh, just your general thoughts when, when people in Pittsburgh want to know what they're getting uh, in Ron Hextall, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think they're getting someone who is uh, terrific in the draft, uh, terrific at building the farm system. And he's also real good at uh, finding tap space. Uh, he took, he took over a really bad situation in Philadelphia as you guys know, uh, 
they they were really in a very poor cap situation. Paul Holmgren had been the GM and, and uh, you know, he spent to the max and he had a lot of long contracts and uh, heavy contracts that had, uh, you know, more money on them than the players were worth. And he got rid of uh, players like Luke Shen. And, and uh, he even traded, somehow he traded Chris Pronger after <laughs> Chris had retired and, and got more cap space because, uh, you know, of, of a situation where uh, they were still paying for his cap hit. So uh, it took him a while, it took him a few years, but he did get out of the, the cap problems he was in. And, and more importantly, uh, he built up the farm system. Their, their farm system was really the dregs when he took over. And, uh, you know, he, it seemed like instead of seven draft picks every year, he would come up with nine or 10 because he would always have a general manager throw in an extra draft pick. And he used that to his advantage. And, and, uh, you know, he, he hit on guys in the early rounds, but he also hit on guys like an Oscar Lindblom, uh, who was a fifth rounder and, and players like that. And, uh, I think, I think there's 11 or 12 players on the flyers right now, including Carter Hart, their, uh, promising goalie who, who should be one of the top goalies in the league down the road. Uh, you know, they, they that team right now is just filled, as I said, 11 or 12 of the players on the team are draft picks. And, uh, yeah, that's that's Hextall. And uh, so I, I think the Penguins are in, in good hands. <laughs> Sam, I wanted to ask you one more one more question about – I just mentioned the, the transformation of, of this team. And, and obviously you're talking about how there's so many of the draft picks and guys that, 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 that Hextall brought in are still playing for him, which I always think is kind of a, a real compliment uh, when, when a general manager leaves that the next group kind of keeps a, a, lot of, a, a big degree. But, boy, for years – People here in Pittsburgh were like, oh, filthy flyers, dirty flyers, fighting flyers. And under Hextall, who was part of that reign, by the way, when he's a, as a player, it was a very rough team. That team is transformed. They are not the, the flyers of old. They're a very skilled team. They don't seem to take a lot of fighting majors or, or uh, they don't have the guys that sometimes just go crazy in games. How did that come about? And did, did, did Hexel take any kind of grief as they kind of went away from that, that the kind of the, the, their MO for so many years? He did. <laughs> That's the short answer. He did, and he's still taking grief. Matter of fact, it's kind of ironic. The Flyers got knocked out in the Eastern Conference semifinals last year by the Islanders, and uh, one of the reasons they were they were uh, the less physical team. They got pushed around by the Islanders, and and uh, you know Chuck Fletcher will tell you that the new general manager, and uh, um, yeah, they they did go for skill, and 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 they did have some players that had grit to them. A guy like. Uh, uh, Pitlick last year, Tyrell Pitlick. Uh, but actually in this offseason, the Flyers went out and, and tried to add some guys that were bigger and uh, grittier. Matt Martin, I know, is a guy they went after. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Travis uh, Harmonic, a big defenseman who didn't want to play uh, on the East Coast. Uh, he's another player they went after. So, um, yeah, it's tough to find the perfect uh, combination, you know, you want to get faster. It's a quick league. It's a young players league. Uh, but you also want to have player, a few players at least. You know, like a Scott Hartnell, for for instance. I know Penguin fans love to <laughs> Scott Hartnell. <laughs> I can remember some of the creative signs we saw in Pittsburgh when Hartnell would go there. But you need players like that, though. You know, you need the agitators. They, they do have a few players like that now. Uh, Travis Konechny, I think, is 
a good example of that, uh, of an agitator. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, Hextel was not perfect, but, you know, for what he was given and for the situation, uh, like I said, he was in cap hell and he got out of it. And he had one of the worst farm systems and built it into, into one of the better farm systems in the NHL. I, I, I think you have to give him probably a, an A- minus or a B-plus for, for his whole body of work. What would uh, stand out to you is maybe mistakes that he made. I know that people talk about, you know, hanging on to Dave Hackstall as long as he did. But, I mean, that and just maybe signings or, or trades he made that, that, looking back, were mistakes. Yeah, no question. You, you hit the nail on the head. I think I think uh, he probably had some blind loyalty uh, to Dave Hackstall. Uh, for people who don't know, Hackstall coached at uh, North Dakota. And Hextall's son, Brett, played there. And... Uh, you know, because of that, I think, you know, Hextel will say, will disagree, but I think he did have blind loyalty to Hextel. And I think it became clear that Dave Hextel was probably in a little bit over his head. And, uh, you know, Hextel would not budge. And, uh, you know, it, it was, he was going to sink or swim with Hextel. And, and that, one, to me, was probably his number one weakness. Even after uh, Hextel was fired, he, he met, uh, you know, classy guy that he is. He met with reporters a few days later at a hotel in Voorhees, which is in South Jersey, across the river from where the Flyers play their games, but but down the road from where they have their practice facility. And he met with reporters. And even then, he was steadfast uh, that he would have done everything the same with Hackstall. And he talked about how respected Hackstall was, and and on and on and on and. Uh, uh, and about a month later, Dave Hextel was fired. And, and I don't think that would have happened, uh, quite honestly, if Hextel was still there. And uh, they brought, brought Scott Gordon in on an interim basis and, uh, and of course, later on hired Elaine Vigneault. But uh, uh, and that's nothing against Dave Hextel. I mean, you, you, there's, I think there's a reason that most coaches don't go from college to the NHL. Very few do that. You have to pay your dues, whether it's an assistant coach or, uh, you know, some other NHL level. And, uh, you know, it, it just did not seem like Haxtell really had the room uh, under control. And uh, I think there's a process to it. And I'm not saying it's it's like that for every coach. There are some coaches that do have success jumping right from college to the, to the pros. But it does not happen too often. And in a lot of sports, actually, uh, the Eagles went through it, too. Um, you know, a few times where they, they <laughs> took they took coaches from college and uh, you know and and tried to make them NFL head coaches and it didn't work. So uh, it's a tough nut. But that that to me was I, I think Ron Hexel did a, a terrific job with the Flyers. His trades were probably just so so. His drafting was phenomenal. Uh, he built the farm system up. Uh, did a great job on that. Did a great job with the cap. Uh, but. Some of the blind loyalty, I say, I, I'd say, was probably probably his biggest weakness. Sam, you mentioned Carter Hart. Is he the Flyers' best goalie since Ron Hextall? And does management think he's a guy who can allow them to contend for a Stanley Cup eventually? They do. They do. He's off to a little bit of a rough start, Dave, as you know, this year. But, uh, um, you know, he's had a couple bad addings. And, and, you know, it's so early in the year that – it's, it's almost like a, a baseball pitcher who has a couple bad outings in his ERA. It, it takes forever for it to come down. So his numbers will come down. His, his, um, his goals against will come down. His save percentage will go up. Um, 
you know, the guy, he's very dedicated and he's very mature. He's unflappable. He's 22, had a, a very good year last year, his first full season. Um, you know, he, he's, he's been preparing for the NHL since he's 11 or 12. Back then is when he had his first sports psychologist, has had the same sports psychologist for the last uh, 10, 11 years. So that, that's how driven this young kid is. And, uh, you know, he's got great reflexes and, and, uh, and he's got a real good mentor, uh, with Brian Elliott as the backup and Elliott's 35. He's been through it all. So together it's a good duo. And, and, uh, uh, but to answer your question, Dave, yeah, they, they think he's the guy and he probably is the best goalie here potentially, uh, since Ron Hexel. Sam, you know, at the end of the run there, uh, for, for Hextall, there had been some chatter. I, I don't know if, if there was some pressure to try and bring uh, Carter Hart up. Uh, I, I've talked to, to, to Hexall, and you've probably heard this story before. He just did not think he was ready. He had a, he didn't have a great camp uh, in, his, in Hextall's estimation, and he just didn't want to feed him to league where he didn't think he was ready. A, what do you rem- first of all? What do you remember about that time? Was is, is was Hextall right, or and B, had he been able to come up and play well? Does does Hextall kind of live to get through that year? Yeah, and, and it's interesting. Uh, you know, every everybody goes back to that and says, "Oh, uh, Carter Hart would never have been here uh, at that time a couple of years ago if, if Hextall was still here." Well, that's that's a that's a false narrative because. Uh, as you mentioned, he was struggling in the AHL. Hexel actually went to Scott Gordon, who was the uh, uh, AHL coach of the Flyers' uh, uh, affiliate, the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And, uh, you know, Scott Gordon's very well respected. He used to be a coach with the New York Islanders. He's been around the NHL, you know, the Bruins and the Flyers. He's been an assistant, and uh, he was a former NHL goalie. And, and he said, you know, Carter Hart is not ready. He needs more yeah. time. And Hextall you know, to his credit, did not rush him. And uh, and in those two or three weeks, though, uh, you could just see the numbers. I know, you know, I'm busy covering the Flyers, so I don't really see his games. I'm, I may see some uh, highlights, but that's about it. But if you look at his numbers in the next two or three weeks after that, Hart was uh, exceptional. And uh, at that time, they thought he was ready. And, uh, and he had to be ready. <laughs> Because at that time, Alex Lyon, the, the backup goalie, was injured in the Flyers. That was the year, if you recall, the Flyers used eight goaltenders in one season. It, it's, a, it's a dubious NHL record. Uh, and uh, But with Lyon hurt, uh, they had to go down to the Phantoms. And the next guy up was Carter Hart, and he was playing well. And, uh, you know, if Hextall was still there, he would have brought him up. There's no question. Because that, that you know. That's all they had at that time. And uh, so the day that he was replaced and Chuck Fletcher took Hextall's place, one of Fletcher's first moves was to bring up Carter Hart. And uh, I'm not sure if he was, I guess he was 20 at that time. Yeah. And uh, he came up and, and uh, you know, did pretty well. And uh, not as well as he did last year. But, uh, um, but my contention is there's no question that if Hextall was still there, he would have done the same thing and brought him up. It, but the timing of it made it look like, you know, Hextall was totally against bringing him up and, and uh, he never would have been here. And, and, uh, and the Flyers, I think, I think that season, uh, partial season really helped Carter Hart kind of ease in. And then last year he was a lot more comfortable because 
you know, you had to get used to the traveling and, and living by yourself and, and cooking for yourself and, and things that you really don't think of. And, uh, you know, he was really, it really helped him get ready for last year. And last year he had a, a solid year in the playoffs against Montreal. He probably stole a couple wins against the Canadiens. So, um, yeah, it all worked out well. But, uh, yeah, it's a, to answer your question, it's a false narrative for those who say that uh, uh, Carter Hart would not have been here if uh, Hextel was still the general manager. Right. Uh, last thing, we'll get you out on this. Uh, are you as intrigued as most of the rest of the hockey world to see how Ron Hextel, a man who on the management side has really kind of built his reputation on patience and, and reading the room and taking his time, uh, works with Brian Burke, a guy who is maybe not any of what I just described of, you know, <laughs> wanting to win and certainly, uh, uh, certainly has never been afraid uh, to make moves and, and, to, and to ruffle some waters. Yeah, I, I am. And I, I think it'll be a good match. I think they'll, they'll kind of balance each other out. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, Hextel will talk Burke down a little bit. <laughs> and, and, and maybe Burke will say, hey, you, you know, we, we have to take a chance here and do this. And, or maybe we have to get rid of a veteran. I, I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that'll be a, a, a big question. Uh, especially as we get late in the season, will Chris Letang still be there, or or do they try to trade him and 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 try to get some draft picks? And uh, I'm sure, I would think Hextall would would like to do that uh, if the Penguins um, are if they don't think they're legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. But if they are a Stanley Cup contender, then then you know all bets are off. But uh, yeah, it is an interesting dynamic, and I think that uh, uh, they'll work well together. I think in dealing with the media. I think Burke will probably be the one that, <laughs> that, that is the spokesperson for the Penguins more than Hextall because he likes to roll up his sleeves and, and talk to his scouts and, and actually scout games himself and be there and, and, and just have a visual of, of the player. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, uh, these teams will be playing, uh, e- even at the lower level. I'm talking about the, the Ontario Hockey Leagues and some of these other leagues. I, I, you know, Hextall you know, has been known to show up at these games because he, he wants to get a firsthand look at uh, how these guys look. Yeah. Uh, great stuff, Sam. Sam Carcini from the Philadelphia Inquirer here talking a little bit about Ron Hextall. And that will do it for us this week on the 66 to 87 podcast. We'll catch you a little bit later in the week uh, for Tom Reed, or I am Tom Reed, for Taylor Haas and for Dave Molinari. Thanks for listening to DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio.